The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Well, good morning, and uh, welcome to our guests, and uh, nice to see a full house here in chapel. I'm uh, glad that uh, Liam Gallagher was here on Monday. You had a time with him, and as Dean Porcello said, you have me today, and then on Monday, you get uh, a real treat because Mrs. Williams will be here to speak. So, uh, so she'll be. So she's uh, she's prepping and sweating even today. Uh, she's looking forward to it, but uh, she'll be here on Monday as well. Uh, you know, this is the time of year. I was talking with some of you just before chapel. <clears throat> We're uh, on the road quite a bit, and uh, there's a lot of going on around the university. And I just want to bring you up to speed on a couple things because we did inform you that we were. Uh, praying for uh, the local municipality approval to proceed with construction on Stewart Hall and eventually the Stillman Complex. And on Tuesday night, we were granted the, the uh, approval to proceed. So we have uh, cleared, cleared that hurdle. We've cleared that hurdle, and that uh, sets in motion a whole range of things now in terms of signatures and minor approvals. But that was the big one that has had us hung up for a while. And uh, we're finally clear of that, so we're grateful to the Lord for that, for all of you who were praying, and for uh, the Borough Council's uh, approval and, and uh, wisdom in that matter. So uh, you'll see some progress taking place very soon around campus, particularly with regard to Stewart Hall. We are uh, traveling quite a bit. We, uh, we visit a number of donors this time of year, and so you can pray for those efforts around the university to raise money, not just for the projects that we've taken uh, on, but for scholarship uh, we raise a lot of money uh, to uh, make sure that you as students get a good amount of financial aid. And so uh, we'll be on the road uh, a bit. We've been on the road with conferences and conventions as well. In fact, I missed uh, uh, some activities around here. And I do know that last week we did have the camps here. And I just want to put a plug in because I didn't have a chance to say it to you. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> I've actually uh, come through the Ministry of Christian Camping as a camper, as a staff member and a director. And I would encourage any and all of you uh, who are wondering what to do with your summer to consider serving the Lord in a Christian camp somewhere in the world. It's a great experience. I tell parents all the time, you want to give your kids a good experience, send them to Christian camp. You want to change their lives, send them to work at Christian camp. Uh, and so if you have the opportunity to think about that, pray about it, see what the Lord would have for you, uh, do that. On Monday when Mrs. Williams speaks, uh, we will also have a representative from Camp of the Woods here, uh, and they have two crews. One, they hire summer staff, but two, we've been sending for a number of years a May crew to open that camp. Uh, it's a great opportunity for you to serve in a brief amount of time, earn some money. They come and get you, transport you up there, put you to work, uh, pay you, and bring you back. And uh, I think almost all of you know Caleb Treesice. He uh, is from Camp of the Woods, and uh, he'll be spearheading that effort for us as well. So we like to see a good group go up every year and help Camp of the Woods get opened up. This morning, I want to open up uh, the Word, the passage that Dean Porcello read for us, Matthew 8, and continue this series on the one we follow, looking at Jesus through the eyes of his disciples. <clears throat> In this particular passage, as was read, we see Jesus calming the storm, and uh, probably a fitting day to take on that passage with the wind and the rain outside. It's a really powerful, powerful story. It's also one that we're extremely familiar with, and so I want to set a little context in terms of the series and talk about why we're doing this this semester. Uh, I think that I've shared with you a couple of times already this semester that what we really want to do is focus on, on the one we follow, 
looking at Jesus through the eyes of his disciples because it is important for us to take seriously a study of Jesus, not just to know about him, but to know him. Also to think about not just the followership of the disciples, but the importance of our followership as his disciples today. You know, at the university, we take this very seriously. In fact, we state not only in our mission that we educate you to serve Christ, but in our objectives that we want to teach you according to his teaching and example as found in Holy Scripture. We don't get to make things up about Jesus. God has given us his word and revealed to us his son here in his word, teaches us about him, but also teaches us who he is and what he has done for us, what he expects of us and what he promises us. And so it's important for us as his followers, one, to follow, and two, know the one whom we follow. We think about this, it's important because it's one thing to say we follow Jesus, it's quite another thing to actually follow him, to go where he goes, to obey what he commands, to live, to please, and proclaim him. And that's why we want to focus on this this semester and the time I have with you, to think in a, in a fresh way about who you are as a follower of Jesus and what that means, not just to you, but to God, what it means to follow his son. And as I've said, it's important to know the one we follow, because if we say we follow him, are we also able to say that we know him? Not just that we know about him, but that we know him, that we know his position, that we know his attributes, that we know his power and works, not as things that we write in our notebook, but as actual truths about Jesus that change the way we think and live. Because this stuff matters. It matters that we know the one we follow. You know, I think about Jesus and even this week reading through the Gospels again in this particular passage in preparation for this morning and thinking about the many conversations that I've had over the course of my Christian life with people who, who, who like Jesus. I, they do. They, they find him a curious figure. They're intrigued by him. If I, I can't tell you the number of people who have said to me on numerous occasions, I, it's really interesting that you're a Christian, that you take Jesus seriously. I find Jesus very intriguing. Okay. How intriguing? Intriguing enough to submit yourself to him and to believe that he has paid the price for your sin, that he is in fact your savior, that he died and buried and was rose again. No, no, intriguing in that you know, it must have been interesting to live in that time. Well, lots of people lived in that time. What makes Jesus so special? There are those who find Jesus intriguing. I've talked to people who even find Jesus compelling. You know, there are some things that Jesus said that I just find so compelling. That's the difference between an onlooker and a disciple. Some things that Jesus said that we find compelling means the things that we want to find compelling. The truth is, brothers and sisters, every word from the mouth of Jesus should be compelling to us as his followers. There are many curious onlookers who find Jesus interesting. We see them in the Gospels, and we see them in our own lives and in our own world today. But being a fan doesn't make you a follower, and being curious doesn't make you a Christian. And for those of us who claim to be his children, to claim to be Christians, we have to take this idea of being his follower seriously and know the one whom we follow. And this particular passage is an interesting one. The record of Jesus calming the storm gives us a really good picture of Jesus through the eyes of his disciples. 
And it must have made an impact because it's included in almost exact form in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And John has a version of Jesus calming the storms as well. So this must have had an impact. The record of Jesus calming the storm gives us a good picture of the Jesus that the disciples saw through their own eyes. The problem with it is it's a very familiar passage. Uh, uh, If you grew up in a Christian church and went to Sunday school and went to VBS, it probably goes without saying that you've seen this over and over and over again. And so when we see things over and over and over again, we tend to say, well, I've got this. I know what's going on here. And so that's the problem so often that we find ourselves having with Scripture. We find ourselves so familiar with the stories of the Bible or passages of Scripture that we fail to actually look at them in new ways and, and, and allow God's Spirit to use these familiar passages to have a new impact on us. So this morning, I'd like you to set that aside, all the flannel graphs and cartoon figures and all the things you've seen about Jesus calming the storm and look at this passage through new eyes this morning. Father, give us grace and wisdom beyond ourselves. Open our minds and hearts to your word that we might see what you have for us here this morning in this familiar passage when we see the power of our Lord demonstrated in the calming of this storm. Father, we pray that in looking at this story, you might strengthen us in our faith and cause us to follow Jesus, knowing him better and desiring to follow him more, we pray in his name, amen. So it's interesting, uh, when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. There it is. He got into the boat, and they went with him. Remember, last time we were together, we talked about this. Jesus called them, and what happened? They followed. He said, come, and they went. And they go with Jesus, and they watch him do these miracles. And very soon after Jesus begins to perform these miracles, remember what we looked at last time there, Jesus is healing so many people, and so much, there's so much momentum to the ministry that the whole town is descending upon Peter's family's house. And Jesus draws away quietly, uh, and the disciples go and look for him and say, Jesus, what are you doing? What are you doing? We said we'd follow you, but you're making a terrible mistake. And we talked about this last time that that's what happens so often is we forget we're following him, not bringing him along on our journey. We are following him. And so the disciples have already faced that reality when they say to Jesus, no, no, don't leave that house. There's so many people there. Everybody's coming to see us, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, no, let us go out into the country and preach, for that is what I came to do. And here we find the disciples still following after him. It says here in Matthew 8 that Jesus got into the boat and his disciples followed him and they got in the boat. So what do we see? They at least trust him enough and believe him enough that they're going to get in the boat with him. It says Jesus got in the boat and the disciples got in the boat. Well, that's great. That's what followers do. You go where the one you're following goes. Jesus gets in the boat and they follow him. And then verse 24, Behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. Now, this is nothing out of the ordinary. I mean, storms come up. Storms arise, as the saying goes. And here are the disciples. They follow Jesus into the boat. I'm sure when they were getting into the boat, uh, if they looked out and saw the horizon and there was any indication that there was a storm coming, probably some of them might have thought, it doesn't look too good out there, but hey, Jesus got in the boat. We'll get in the boat. The truth is, uh, in that part of the world, storms aren't that veiled. It's not like they're, they're, it's impossible to see the horizon. If they could see something in the horizon, they may have thought, because some of them were fishermen, this might not be the best day to get in a boat, but Jesus got in the boat, so we'll get in the boat. That's a good thing. 
That's a good thing. But when you get in a boat, you have to assume that when you follow Jesus into the boat, it's a boat. It's a boat that goes on water. When you're on water and storms come up, things happen. I find it very curious that sometimes we say, well, I said I'd follow Jesus, but I didn't know it was going to be like this. Why not? I mean, Jesus told his disciples from the very beginning, hey, come with me, but this isn't going to be easy. First of all, we're going to walk everywhere. Now, you know, it's sort of you're signing up for that right away. You're going to, we're going to walk everywhere. There's no escort. There's no chariot escort. There's none of that. We don't have a 15-passenger van. We don't have a, 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 a bus skinned out with our logo. We got none of that. We're going to walk. We're going to walk. And they go with him. So they get in the boat. They have to know they're getting into a boat. And when you get into a boat, there is always risk. Look, I've been canoeing most of my, most of my adult, all of my adult life and deep into my teens. And every time you get in a canoe, there's a threat that it's going to tip. Some people will actually make that more probable when they get in the canoe with you. But if you don't want to get wet, then don't get on the water. If you don't want to take the chance of getting wet, then don't get on the water. If you don't want to get hit, then don't get on the field. And then in the midst of that situation, a storm arises. And here's the thing about storms, they just arise. We don't choose them, they happen. The question is, how do we react and respond when the winds and the waves assail us? This is a beautiful thing about Scripture. This is an actual physical account. These men got into a physical boat, went out on a physical body of water, and experienced a physical storm, but there's so much here for us. The picture of the storm is that the disciples didn't get in the boat and bring it on themselves. They didn't get in the boat and start rocking the boat and then the storm comes as judgment for rock. They weren't playing around. There wasn't horseplay. They're out there and circumstances changed. A storm arose. And what this story gives us is the storm rises. They didn't choose it. It's not what they wanted. They didn't make it happen. The storms just happen. You have things like that in your life, things that just happen. Things that just happen. I would say to you that when you fail an exam because of your negligent study habits, that's not this kind of storm, right? That's a different kind of storm. This storm just arises. It wasn't chosen by the disciples. So how do they react? Well, before we look at how they react, let's look at how Jesus reacts. In this passage, Jesus is sleeping in the stern of the boat, in the midst of a terrifying storm. Jesus is sleeping in this boat amidst a terrifying storm. How do we know it's terrifying? Because the disciples think they're going to die. So it's not a little bit of rockers, not a little bit of waves, it's not a little bit of rolling stuff. It's a big enough storm the disciples think they're going to die. And Jesus is sleeping in the boat amidst a terrifying storm. Now, that may seem indifferent to you or even harsh. How could the Son of God sleep through a storm when his men were afraid? But it's actually a gracious act. What greater contrast could there be to the disciples' reaction than what Jesus was doing? Just think on that for a minute. It's a terrifying storm. The Bible says the storm arose so great that the waves were coming over the side of the boat. 
they're getting swamped. Any of you have been in whatever size watercraft and you're on a, you're on a body of water when a steam storm comes up. It's one thing to be pitched and rolled and get a little seasick and lose your lunch. It's another thing to have water coming over the side because I know that um, not everybody in here is, is, is a physics major, but, but listen, when, more wa- when water ends up in the bottom of your boat, eventually a boat that gets swamped, they call it that for one reason, it's going down, Right? And so this boat is being swamped. They think they're going down. Here it is, right? The storm is so great that water's coming over the side and it's about to be swamped. The Bible says the storm arose and the waves were so high and the wind was so strong, water's coming into the vessel and they're about to go down. The disciples fear the ship will be lost. The boat will be lost. Small craft, boat will be lost. And what's Jesus doing? He's sleeping in the stern. Now that is very fascinating Very fascinating thing. Jesus is sleeping in the stern of the boat. And I think, well, from my human perspective, that's a little rough. I mean, shouldn't he have been comforting the disciples? Shouldn't he have been telling them everything's going to be okay? Shouldn't he have known the storm was coming and warned them? And Jesus is sleeping in the boat. The disciples' reaction is very different. They're terrified, and they think they're going to die. In fact, that's what they say. Lord, there's a storm, and, and, and we're going to perish. It's all over. Everything we've been doing up till now with you, it's all going to end right here in this storm. The disciples are human, just like you and me. The disciples are human. They have human reactions to circumstances. And they're human like us, and they experience the storm, and they believe they're going to die, just like any of us might think. But Jesus knows better. He also has power over the storm. So he takes, his take on this situation is completely different than theirs. Think about that. It isn't just that Jesus has fallen asleep. It's that his take on the circumstances is completely different. They're in the midst of a storm that has arisen and they think they're going to die. And Jesus is over here sleeping in the stern of the boat. Why? Because he doesn't look at the storm the same way they do. And there's a lot to unpack in that if you just think about it. Jesus isn't sleeping in the boat because he doesn't care about them. His take on the whole situation is completely different. But listen, this is what we know. He is the Son of God. He is all-knowing Jesus Christ. He is not sleeping in that boat not knowing that it's having an effect on the disciples. What God has done here is not just, not just preserve for us a story that's instructive. The whole thing happens for the benefit of the disciples. This whole thing unfolds for their benefit. He gets into the boat. They go with him. The storm comes up. They're terrified and think they're going to die. And they turn around and Jesus is sleeping in the back of the boat. His take on the whole situation is completely different. He's got a purpose for what is going on. Just think about that for a minute in the way that we deal with the storms that arise in our own lives. It isn't that God doesn't care. It's that his take on this is completely different. They think they're going to perish, and Jesus knows better than that. He's also the one that controls all of those elements. But what's interesting to me is here what happens is, behold, there arose this great storm, And they went and woke him because he was sleeping. They woke him up. I mean, they stood there and they thought, well, there's a storm coming up and there's water coming over the side and we're all going to die, but we have Jesus. We've got got a secret weapon here, fellas. Like they're looking for life jackets and probably looking around saying, how are we going to do this? And someone says, I can swim for it. And someone says, wait a second, we've got Jesus. Let's go wake up Jesus. He'll take care of this. They go and they they awaken Jesus. And they don't just wake him up and say, "Uh, Jesus, we need you. They say, Lord, save us. We are perishing. We are dying. We're dying. 
Now in the moment, just think about it. Just think about what must have been going on through their eyes, what they must have seen. They're in the midst of a storm and they think it's their end. They think it's the end of them. And they look back and they see Jesus sleeping and they're probably having all kinds of interactions. I, I, I like to think, there's no scriptural evidence for it, but I think there's got to be somebody in the boat who says, should we wake him? I don't know if we should wake him. I mean, he is Jesus. And he knows what he's doing, right? And then someone says, no, no, he doesn't know. Look, he doesn't know. He left that house and we were healing people and went off to preach. Nobody wants to hear preaching. Everybody wants to see healing. He doesn't know he's sleeping. Wake him up. Wake him up. We need him. We're going to die if we don't wake him up. And so they'll go back and they wake him up. And then it all sort of unfolds for us in a very interesting way. Lord, save us for we are perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid, O oh, you of little faith? You know, there's so much, if we just stopped and read the Gospels and looked at the way Jesus interacts with the people that he encounters, even with his disciples as he walks with them, he's the Son of God. The Bible tells us that there's nothing made that wasn't made when he wasn't there or made without him. It's all his. He holds all things together. He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He was there at the beginning. He is creator and sustainer of all things. And here he is, in the back of this boat sleeping. We're perishing. We're going to die, Jesus. Save us. And he said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Now, I think if this unfolded in the modern, in our era and we thought of the Jesus we'd like to see, they'd wake him up and Jesus would say, oh, guys, I'm so sorry. I was tired from that preaching. Everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. And he just calms the sea. But that's not what happens. Whether you read this account or another gospel account where Jesus calms the sea first and then says this, they all say what Jesus said. Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Now, here's the thing. Jesus is the Son of God. Do you think when he asks the question, why are you afraid, he does not know why they are afraid? turns and says, why are you afraid? It's a rhetorical question, right? They're not saying, well, uh, I'm afraid for this reason. Someone says, well, I'm afraid for this reason. Well, Peter and I were talking, and we're afraid for this. That's not what's going on here. Jesus says, why are you afraid? And the answer is what? We're afraid because we're, we're afraid we're going to die. But Jesus isn't asking them, why are you afraid for informational purposes? I mean, this is what's so great about the way Jesus interacts. They're terrified. Lord, save us. We're dying. He says, why are you afraid? That question is not asked for him to get information. It's asked for them to reflect on why they're afraid. Why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? You knew enough to come to me. Lord, save us. You, you, why are you, if you followed me into this boat, why are you afraid? He doesn't ask the question because he needs to know before he's going to act. How often we do that, we think God needs our help and he needs our information. What's the Bible say? He knows what you need when? Before you even ask. He doesn't need us for him to act. He's saying, why are you afraid? It's a gift to the disciples. It's a hard gift. It's a bitter pill to swallow, but it's exactly what they need. Why are you afraid? And I got to figure, some are saying, what is he, nuts? Does he not know why we're afraid? He's not asking us because he doesn't know why we're afraid. He's asking us because we shouldn't be afraid. When he says, why are you afraid? It's not just, why are you afraid? Then he says, why are you afraid, oh, you of little faith? I have to tell you, folks, if that's, not, if that's not an interaction with people who are afraid that is counter to our cultural paradigm today, nothing is. 
Nothing is. I recently, uh, I, I don't share stories like this often, but I recently have a, a, a friend. I do have a, a few. I have a friend <laughs> on social media. Never met him face to face. He shared some news about his wife being pregnant and uh, shared that he hopes that in time he'll, he'll find himself excited about it. And my initial response was, I wanted to say, oh, it's okay, it'll be fine. But that's, I, something inside me said, that's not what he needs. That's not what he needs. This is a gift from God. And he said, I know that. I'm just worried about how will this go? We weren't expecting this. And he's, I'm sure he's worried about money and all these other things. It's a gift. It's life. It's a gift. But the cultural tendency is when someone says, I'm afraid, to say, yeah, I know, you should be afraid. And, and it'll be okay. But what Jesus said to the disciples, the men who followed him, when they were experiencing that storm, he says, why are you afraid? Because you shouldn't be afraid. The truth is, what our, the, the culture around us says, as soon as someone is feeling apprehension and fear, we should affirm that. Look, we should be caring and accepting. But what Jesus says to them, and he says, why are you afraid? He's not asking them for information. He's confronting their lack of faith. Because then he goes on and says, oh, you of little faith. And i got to tell you, that's a hard thing to say to people who think they're going to drown to death in a little boat in a big storm on a body of water. If that doesn't turn your world a little bit, that Jesus... The one who loves us and cares for us and died for us and intercedes for us. The one who will come and take us back. The, the one, the, the, our redeemer and savior, the good shepherd who laid down his life. All those things are true of Jesus, but he won't let the disciples slide on this one. I'm the son of God in a boat with you in the middle of a storm. What are you afraid of? Oh, you of little faith, what are you afraid of? You marvel over the healings. He just got done healing a leper. You saw what I did, leprosy. No one wants to touch a leopard. They're dead. It's a, it's a terrible disease. They're rotting from the outside in. Everybody sees it. I touch them and they're made clean. Why are you afraid? They bring the lame to me who are, who are cast out and forced to destitute lifestyles. They're beggars and I've made them walk. We're going to raise the dead. We're going to proclaim the gospel. We're going to set people free from the power of sin and death. Why are you afraid? You're following the one who commands the wind and the waves. And so on one hand, it's a very stern rebuke. Jesus' reaction to the fear of the disciples is instructional. He actually rebukes them, asking them a question they know how they should answer. Why are you afraid? He knows why, and they do too. Their faith had faltered. And here's the thing, that Jesus doesn't just act in this way. It's not some sort of harsh way of discipling him say why are you afraid of you a little faith ride out the storm no he recognizes then stands up and demonstrates for them that he's the one who commands the wind and waves so why are you afraid of you of little faith and then he rose up and rebuked the winds and the sea and there was a great calm and the men marveled saying what sort of man is this that even the winds and sea obey him in this calming of the storm, this familiar passage, we see through the eyes of the disciples that Jesus cares more about their faith than their getting wet. He really does. He's less concerned about their getting wet than he is about their faith. And everything that he does in this episode that we see in the Gospels is to strengthen them in their faith. Because this is what we know because we read the rest of the book. They will encounter far worse storms in their lives than this one. 
they will encounter hardships that this will look tame and lame. In that storm-tossed boat, the disciples learned an important lesson. They learned that the sword of man they were following was in complete control. Have we learned that? How would we know? How do we respond when the storms arise, the little ones and the big ones, those things that are out of our control? It's important for us to look at this passage and realize something, that the one we follow sees things differently than we do. He cares about different things and has authority over the things that terrify us, the things that weaken our faith, the things that cause us to doubt. He's the only sort of man worth following. When the disciples look and marvel at what he did and they say, what sort of man is this that even the wind and waves obey him? Jesus does this so that the next time the storm comes, they might actually believe the one that they are following. The disciples through the eyes of Jesus in that they, they see this great miracle worker who's going to turn the world upside down, the Lamb of God. They follow him into that boat. They see him. They face a storm and they turn around and what do their eyes behold? The sleeping Savior. When they awaken him, what do they see? One who wants their faith to be stronger. Oh, you have little faith. Why are you afraid? And then what they see is one who has the power to set all that stuff down to shut it down. He cares about them that much. You know, when you encounter storms and you're faltering in your faith, uh, you hear the words of Jesus, not to make you feel bad that your faith faltered, but to make you be honest about it, that next time your faith might be stronger. That's the point. That's the point. What Jesus is doing with the disciples, he's not coddling them. He's taking them through life in a way that makes them stronger and strengthens their faith that they might be ready to serve him and to proclaim him to a world that will actually seek to kill them. And that's not very different from you and I. That's what the followers of Jesus do. The one whom we follow, he is this sort of man, the one that even the wind and waves obey, the one who sees our circumstances differently than we do, the one who cares about the real issue, which is your faith in him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness and grace to us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this account in the gospels of Jesus calming the storm. Give us fresh eyes, open minds, and open hearts to see this account as something that confronts us in our own lack of faith, that confronts us in our own unwillingness to see things as you do. Father, we pray that you would make us bold and strong servants of your Son, that we might see his grace and love and compassion at every turn, and see that what he wants from us is to grow in our knowledge of him, that we might serve him more fully and more effectively, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Have a great weekend.